Welcome to our classroom. In this space, we talk about education, which is inclusive of, but not limited to, what happens in schools. Education is taking place whenever and wherever we are willing to learn. I am your host, Roberto Germán, and our classroom is officially in session. Hey, welcome back to our classroom. I am joined once again by St. Clair Dietrich Jules, award-winning Afro-Caribbean filmmaker and photographer whose work focuses on immigrant justice, women's rights, and black liberation. We are here to talk about the first book that she published. Last time she was with me, we talked about her second book, and my daughter Annalise helped to co- Facilitate the interview, but this time I'm going solo and I have the book right here. My beautiful black hair. 101 natural hair stories from the sisterhood. St. Clair, welcome back. Thank you. I'm happy to be back. Well, listen, I I have my questions prepared for you, but and reading the title over again, there was a question that I did not write down and now it's resurfacing. When I first saw your book, I was like, wow, first of all, dope cover. But there was something about this title that stood out to me. And it was the number, 101. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe it's cause I'm just, a, I'm an even guy. I'm like, I need even numbers. Why 101 natural hair stories from the sisterhood instead of 100? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, when I started the book, I didn't think it was going to be anywhere close to 100. I thought maybe, you know, less than less than 50. And then as I started interviewing more women, I thought, okay, maybe 50. 50 is a good number. But then I just kept on hearing so many incredible stories, you know, of women going natural. And I didn't want to I didn't want to stop. I wanted to keep going. So then I figured, okay, I think a hundred will be a good number. And then uh, after that, there was one more person who wanted to participate after I, after I had already had a hundred participants. And so I was like, okay, well, I guess, you know, 101, you know, people use that in titles, 101 Dalmatians, that kind of thing. So. <laughs> okay. I, I, I thought it might have been a marketing strategy, but no. it was just one more story and you fit it in. Yep, Exactly. Wonderful. Well, tell me who you had in mind when when you wrote My Beautiful Black Hair. And I know part of the inspiration for your books was your sister. Mm -hmm. But and you could speak into that again. But in addition to your sister, who, who else did you have in mind? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, as, as you know, so this is my sister, Chloe. And so she was the inspiration behind this book because she was bullied at school for having an Afro. And so I wanted to create something to show her that her hair is beautiful and worthy of love, you know, and that was my original inspiration. But also as I kept on interviewing women for this book, there were so many women who said, oh, I wish that I had something like this when I was younger. Or even, you know, I know people who as adults could use something like this in their lives. And so as I continued working on the book, I just realized how many people I think need to be able to see and read about other women who have gone natural, right? Because so many of us don't have that kind of 
representation around us. And so, and so as I kept working on the book, I figured, okay, this is, this is for my sister, Chloe, but it's also, it's also bigger. It's also bigger than that at this point. It's for every person who has felt uncomfortable or not beautiful or not professional in their, in their natural hair. That, that's wonderful. And you know, after our first interview, you mailed me this book and it happened to be around a time where we were having a family gathering and there were a number of members of my wife's family that were here. And I'm looking at all of them and I'm looking at all the different hair textures between my daughters and my wife and her aunt and her daughters who have my, my wife's aunt's daughters have very different hair texture than their mother. And I'm looking at all of them and, and it was just this beautiful array of, of women in, in, in their beautiful hair. And it made me think a lot about your book. And I wanted to do an interview right there with all of them, centered around your book. It didn't end up happening because our family's Dominican and they're super loud and everybody's talking at the same time. Like, this is not going to make for a good interview if everybody's talking at the same time and it's too loud. But it definitely got me thinking about the importance of engaging family members and others in this conversation uh, about hair. And so what what is it that all people can learn from this book and why should all people engage with it? Yeah, th yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's that's really cool. And a lot of the women in the in the book, I'm not sure how many of the stories you've read, but a lot of the women are actually Afro-Dominican as well. So I know. I yeah. <laughs> it got my attention. Yeah. It got my, and their stories, they really resonate with me. Uh, I'm sure they resonate with, with many of my family members. I'm so fascinated to, to hear folks engage more deeply in this conversation. And, and I'm going to have to invite you back a third time because I, I want to do an interview in which I feature you. And my friend Jamie Medina from Lawrence, Massachusetts, who's also Dominican and, and her platforms about hair and, and natural hair and that movement. And I had her, I interviewed her when I first started the podcast and, and listened to her tell some difficult stories about the messages that she internalized from teachers and family members and, and others and the journey that she went through to be comfortable in her own skin with her own hair, so on and so forth, as it has been documented here in your book with many of the stories that that were told, not by just Afro-Caribbean, Afro-Dominican women, but numerous different women who told very similar stories about how they were treated and the words that were directed at them as it relates to their hair. Yeah. And so I'm I'm wondering what is it that all people can learn from engaging with this book and why they should engage with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um I appreciate you asking that. I mean, I think everybody everybody should care. You know, first of all because I think that we are all 
interconnected, right? No one is free until we're all free, that kind of thing. And and I think black hair liberation really is important, you know, feeling comfortable in our own skin. And I think that we should we should have empathy, right? As human beings, we should have empathy for each other. And I think it's important for people who are not black, who are not women to still um, listen to black women talking about their hair, right? This is still an issue that everybody should care about the same way you for me, you know, I care about immigrants, even though I'm not an immigrant myself. I care about people with disabilities, even though I don't have a disability, right? That kind of thing. I think it's so I think that in terms of having empathy and wanting to create a better world for all of us, everybody should be engaging with issues, even if they don't affect them personally. And then I think also on another level, so many of the women talk about being courageous, being brave finding that confidence within themselves to, in this case, you know, go natural, even if the people around them told them that they were making a mistake, that their natural hair was ugly, that it was unprofessional, right? But they found that self-love and confidence within themselves. And I think that that is something that's universal, that everybody, regardless of race, gender, nationality, everybody can be brave. Everybody can be courageous. I think everybody sometimes needs that encouragement, whether it's to wear your natural hair or in some other aspect of your life. And so I think in that way, there are sort of these universal themes that come up that hopefully everybody would be able to, to get something out of. Absolutely. There's, there are definitely universal themes in this book. And it makes me wonder, how do you think this book can be used in school settings and educational settings how how can they take this text and engage our young people in discussions around black hair or hair yeah. in general yeah yeah hair in i mean hair in general and i know in other communities as well you know i've learned about uh you know a bit about hair in native american communities for example i've heard that uh you know native american communities have also been pushing for things like the crown act which is uh, you know, creating a respectful and open world for our natural hair to uh, prevent or to, you know, uh, yeah, to prevent race-based hair discrimination in schools and the workforce. And so Native Americans, for example, have also been pushing for this because a lot of times men in the communities will wear longer braids, that kind of thing. And they'll be, you know, also victims of discrimination in, in schools and in the workforce. And so, because, uh, you know, because you said hair and hair in general, not necessarily just within the black community. So I think for all communities, it really is important uh, to have this, to have these kinds of conversations. And I think that in the schools, you know, I mean, hopefully because the book is also it's it's writing, but it's also full of photos. So hopefully, you know, that could help grab students attention. And then I think it's also I think it also showcases hopefully the power of personal narratives and using our own voice. And I think that's that that's something that students can always benefit from. I think from a young age, students are often taught in a lot of places, including at school, to not use their own voices, right? To never use the word I in their writing, that kind of thing. And so I think that this book hopefully can help students understand that actually their voices are really important and really powerful. And they also have important narratives to share, right? Everybody has a story. And so I hope that this book can also be used as a catalyst to sort of encourage more of that first person narrative storytelling, whether it's oral or, um, you know, written in schools. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I just see some amazing projects that this book can inspire 
for our young people and beyond. Talk to me about the process of creating this book, the book cover, the individuals that you chose to, to be included, the narratives that were told. I'm, I'm fascinated by the way you structured this book. I'm interested to know, how did you find all these individuals? <laughs> did you take every photograph? Talk to me about your process. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when I started this book, I started just by reaching out to uh, to my friends, to former classmates. Um, I, you know, my mom teaches at an HBCU here in DC. And so she recruited some of her students to be in my book. And so, you know, just sort of networking people within my immediate community. And then after that, you know, to get to a hundred women, I'm not, you know, I'm not friends with a hundred, uh, a <laughs> hundred women with natural hair. And so I, you know, started going to social media. I was going through hashtags. I was, um, you know, looking for folks in the natural hair community online and reaching out to them and saying, Hey, I'm, you know, doing this book on black women with natural hair. It's, you know, to inspire my little sister to love herself more deeply. Would you be interested in participating? And I was, you know, I was really grateful, um, uh, for how many women, who didn't even know me, but responded and said that, yes, they would be, that they would be part of this project. And a lot of them said that they had also been in my sister Chloe's shoes before. And so they didn't want anybody else feeling the way that, that they had felt. And so I went around mostly in the DMV in New York area, but also some other places as well. And I photographed all of these women for the books. So I photographed them, interviewed them just on the voice memos app on my phone, transcribed all of the interviews, uh, put them all together in this book. And the cover was actually uh, my, so I worked with a publisher with Chronicle Books. And so uh, Chronicle's team is the one who uh, decided on they actually, we came up with the title together, my publisher and I, and then uh, my publisher put together a few options for the cover and we decided, uh, yeah, so we decided, you know, together which cover to use. And this this is a woman, she actually, she was in New York when I photographed her, but she is actually uh, in Florida now. So, neighbors. <laughs> we, we might have to connect. We might have to connect. What's your favorite part of this book is it the photographs is it the narratives is it a particular letter that was directed to chloe is it one of the interviewees having a grand revelation through this process yeah oh that's oh that's a that's a difficult question um Let's see. I think I think one of the women writes the letter to Chloe and I let's see. I wonder if I can I'm not sure the page right now. Um but she but her name is Elise Bryant and she says to Chloe, you know, you stand on the shoulders of basically of of giants of all of these women who came before you and she talks about how there's so much strength in our history. And I think that that's something that's important to, to think about, right? And if we think about, here it is, here's the letter uh, from Elise. And so 
when we think about i read that one by the way i did okay yeah. yeah so i i thought this was really powerful and i think that it's important for us to see natural hair as, as something that's you know beautiful and aesthetically really pleasing but but it's also so much deeper than that because it comes with so much history and i think that when we root it in this history it can really the natural hair movement really grows stronger as something that's not just like a fad or a, or a you know fashion trend but really something that's deeply rooted um and that sort of that sort of you know remains and 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 doesn't go away uh you know if, if the trend is over or whatever and so this woman in particular she says those of us whose ancestors survived the middle passage were survivors we have some powerful genes and that ain't nothing to play with and i i do think that that's important i think that in schools we are often not taught about our history and now i'm talking about you know people um black people whose ancestors were brought from africa to the caribbean and to you know the americas i think that we're not taught how strong and resilient our people were and they survived so that we could be here today right and that's i mean i just think that there's so much I think that there's so much power in that and our hair is a piece of what we inherited from these incredibly resilient people who survived for us you know so i like her letter <laughs> this besides the least there's just so much wisdom in the words that were offered here by your interviewees so i'm, I'm deeply appreciative as a man engaging with these stories that women go through with the hair, but also as somebody who's had his own hair journey uh, and his own challenges uh, around identity with that. What's your encouragement to educators as it relates to ways they can engage their students, but more importantly, affirm their students as it relates to hair? It's a great question. I, I think that, first of all, you know, I mean, it obviously depends on the subject. I'm not sure if the math teacher is going to be doing this, but I think that, uh, especially when it comes to his, you know, our history classes need to include our our true history, right? So that we associate blackness with something that is beautiful and positive, as opposed to often these sort of negative versions of history of our people that we that we receive, um, that are very, you know, watered down, if not just completely incorrect. Um, and I think that also, you know, for writing personal narratives, again, that's also really important, encouraging students to use their own voices and that's when i think we find power in ourselves and when we feel powerful as people then we feel powerful being our full selves including our hair i am also a big fan of of affirmations so affirming ourselves and then also making sure that students uh, are you know maybe even affirming one another um and being rooted in that community because school is a community right kids spend so I mean they spend what like half their lives they're growing up and so uh I do think that affirmations are really important because self-love is great but also sometimes it's difficult and so it's nice to have community members affirming us as well and so I mean it also I guess depends on the ages of 
the kids, but I think that communal affirmations, making sure that there's a positive environment is also is also good. And then I will just say also that I think it's important, and I know teachers have so much on their plate, but I know that for my sister, you know, she was a victim of racism at her school and the school was aware of it and the teachers weren't really doing anything about that. And so I do think it's important whenever possible for teachers, if they if they see these kinds of things going on, right, if people are making racist comments about someone's hair or any other sort of discriminatory comment about someone, I think that it's also important for teachers to be able to step in and stop that kind of bullying because that really does impact students psychologically starting from a young age. I mean, my sister was four when that was happening, so. Wow. Communal affirmations can be offered by everyone, which is why I'm not letting math teachers off the hook. True. (laughs) (laughs) All content areas can affirm our students. Thank you. St. Clair. Thank you, St. Clair. This is this is wonderful. The, the photographs are intense. They're vibrant. It's like you could feel the individuals. I'm amazed at how you were able to capture them and all of their fullness and their beauty. I just I just love the way this is laid out. Thank you. The individuals in this project should feel great about being involved with this. But I also hope that you feel wonderful about this final product. Very impressed. Thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. I am. I I mean, it was definitely a a group sort of community. I mean, look at this. Look at this is. Like you just, you captures, you know, like the power in this, right? Not just her with the fist up, but then the blend of the dark shirt with, with the pink flowers in the background. I'm, I'm not a photographer by any means, but you know, I could see the contrast. I could see the contrast and I'm sure there's photography language. I'm not using that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we really make you affirmed as a photographer, but I look at this, right? This photograph right here of this lady with her braids and we're looking at the back of her head. And it reminds me of when I had my hair braided, when I had my hair locked. It also reminds me of the work that the locticians did or, or my braid of it and the beauty, right? There's an art to that. There's an art to creating different hairstyles. There's there's an art that I really appreciate. There's also, for some of us, there's pain in the process, right? For me, one of the reasons I cut my hair was like, oh my goodness, every time I got it braided or every time I got it twisted, every time I got it locked up again, my I have a sensitive scalp. It's painful for me to think about it right now. Like every time I did, I'm like, why do I keep doing this? But then I see the end result and I'm like, oh, this this looks beautiful. That's why I keep doing it. Well, not anymore because now I got short (laughs) hair. But thank you. I you know, I wanna I think it's important to give folks their flowers when you have the opportunity to do so. And what you've done here, I don't I don't know 
how your book has been received, but know that it's been highly received in the Herman household. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I love what you were saying about black hair being an art form because I think it I think it really is, you know. And going back to our ancestors too and how our ancestors would use different styles, you know, as identity markers and that kind of thing. I mean, historically there is also so much art when it comes to our hair and I think it's beautiful that that's something that we've been able to sort of recreate despite everything having been taken from us when we were brought to, you know, the new world. I think that I think that the fact that we're still creative and artistic with our hair is really a testament to, again, to how resilient and powerful we are as a people. Well, keep doing what you're doing, you know, with the filmmaking. You had the film about the DACA experience and immigrants in this country. And and then your, your two books centered around hair, which is important for, for me, for my family, for my, my daughters, for my son. And I, I encourage you to just continue to create and use your gifts and your vision for uh, your values to, to push us, you know, to, to push us as it relates to what we're seeing with the visuals you create, whether photography or, or through film, to push us with the writing. Uh, we definitely need more of this. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Last time that we met, I asked you if you had the opportunity to have lunch with anybody that alive, who would it be and why? And you said bell hooks. Today's a new day, but it's the same question. <laughs> so leave. let's leave bell hooks out of it. If you had the opportunity today to to have a meal, to sit down, to have lunch with anybody dead or alive, who would it be and why? Yeah. Ooh, as you were, as you started to ask that question again, I was thinking, oh, bell hooks. And then you were like, oh, I already said that. And yeah. Um, <laughs> let's see. I guess I, I mean, it would be really cool to sit down with Angela Davis. I, I saw her speak one time at my school and I I met her afterwards, but just, you know, briefly in a very long line of students wanting to meet her. But it would be really great, I think, to sort of sit down with her and just just listen. She's definitely one of my idols. And I love how she's so intersectional in her work. So it would be an honor to have lunch with her. I had Angela Davis on my mind as I was going through your book and just looking at all the different folks different hair texture and a Angela Davis has a presence about her, right? including uh, her hair. So that's dope. Well, St. Clair, thank you for joining me once again. Please remind the audience where it is that they could follow you. Yeah, thank you. So uh, people can follow me on Instagram. It's my name. So it's St. Clair Dietrich Jules, so S-T-C-L-A-I-R-D-E-T-R-I-C-K-J-U-L-E-S. Uh, and I don't, I'm not sure if that could be in the notes of the podcast, because um, I, I know I have a long name. And then my website is also just www.stclairdietrichjules.com. So folks can find out more about my work there. They can get my books there. 
Uh, they can also connect with me there if people want to if people want to reach out if they have any questions if they want to chat if they want to share their stories with me always always happy to connect with more people well as i mentioned earlier we're gonna have to have you back on and this time will be more panel style hopefully i could get my friend jamie Medina on maybe one or two other individuals but let's let's continue the conversation thanks for being with us today Thank you for having me. As always, your engagement in our classroom is greatly appreciated. Be sure to subscribe, rate the show, and write a review. Finally, for resources to help you understand the intersection of race, bias, education, and society, go to multiculturalclassroom.com. Peace and love from your host, Roberto Germán.